Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. stay fresh in our minds as we examine now your truth as we think about Christ Lord and the the life that he led Father and his ultimate purpose in coming to die on the cross for our sins Father I pray that we would just understand him more and and be challenged a little bit more by who he was and what he said and, and how he lived and Father just help us to remember that he's our model He's a model of the way we live our lives. And so we, we, we ask, Lord, that you would just allow us to see him and understand him and figure out how we can live our lives in a Christ-like manner. And, Father, we pray, as we do every Sunday, that we could be transformed and changed and molded and shaped more into his image, the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his beautiful, <laughs> beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, open to Mark chapter 6. We're continuing our study of the gospel of Mark. I think this is like our 10th week walking through the gospel, understanding Christ. And I I just want to say this to you, and I I think you probably already know it. I think it probably goes without saying, uh, but I just want to say it again to make sure we're all on the same page and to make sure we're clear. We're not just reading some novel. Like we're just not reading about some guy that just kind of walked the earth 2,000 years ago. This is the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And I just, like the more I study this and the more I see it, the more I'm thankful that God saw fit in his infinite wisdom and in his knowledge and his sovereignty to give us this intimate portrait of who Christ was. We've got almost a day-by-day kind of account of who Jesus was and, and all he did and all the people's lives that he affected and, and changed and I just don't ever want to lose sight of that because it's a beautiful picture of who he is and the way in which he gives and the way in which he loves and the way in which he works in the first century is still the case today. And we've seen some incredible things already. We've seen some miraculous events in the life of Christ. We've seen him calm the storm. We've seen him cast out demons. Last week we saw him heal the woman who had been sick for 12 years, raise the little girl from the dead. But there's this interesting kind of point that comes in our study this morning, and Mark is going to pivot several other times in the gospel, and we're going to see some changes in kind of what he talks about and the direction of his narrative. But it changes a little bit this morning, and it kind of goes from this. We've already seen Jesus do some incredible things. All the things I've just mentioned, all the miraculous things that Jesus has done, we're kind of pivoting a little bit this morning because Jesus is going to say to his disciples, hey guys, you've seen me do some pretty incredible things. You've seen me work over the last several months and and perform miracles and heal people and raise people from the dead. But guys, listen, it's your turn now to begin to do something. You've seen me do it. You understand that it's possible I'm now going to challenge you, Jesus says to his disciples, to go out into the world and begin to do it yourself. And in understanding, now watch this, in understanding how Jesus challenges his disciples, I want you to understand he's challenging you with the same truth this morning. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, we have it on the screen for you. This is Jesus. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two 
And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, just like a walking stick. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house or whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with many oil, oil with many who were sick and healed them. Now I want to kind of give you a truth this morning that we're going to figure out how to apply to our lives and understand how the Lord worked in the life of these disciples and how he can also work in yours. The first thing I want you to see out of these verses, these are the only verses we're going to study this morning, I want you to notice and understand first the power of Jesus. I want you to see the power of Jesus. Now, the disciples up to this point have watched, they've learned, they've questioned, they've been challenged, they've been unsure. Like, Jesus, how are you doing these things? How are these things even possible? But now Jesus says to them, listen, you've seen enough, it's time for you to act. Now, there, there's, a, there's a, a fairly large point of application in here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it, but I want you to kind of hear what Jesus is saying. Listen, there's a point in our life where we've learned enough about Jesus, we need to go and start doing something for the kingdom. It's very easy in the world we live in to be involved in multiple different Bible studies, discipleship groups. All those things are good. I'm not, I'm not preaching against Bible study, okay? Don't hear me say that. But it's easy for us to get caught up in all these Bible studies and reading all these books and checking all these things off and filling out these sheets. and All those things are good. But it's very easy for us to get involved in those things and never kind of step outside of that world and do anything with it. You know, I, I told you guys last week, I now have three teenage daughters in my house. Three. Let me just say it. Three teenagers that are girls <laughs> that are living in my house. The prayers are greatly appreciated. But we've gone through the whole driving thing the last several years. My oldest daughter is almost 18 now. She's been driving now. And some of y'all have been there. Some of you are very quickly coming to that point. But there's this, there's this point, right, driving where she's kind of done all this study and she's taken all the little tests and she's gone online and watched the videos and there are all kind of hoops you have to jump through now. Like when I, when I got my license, I went down to the DMV. I drove a half mile down the road and back. That was it, man. They handed my congratulations at her. That was it. There's all kind of stuff they got to do now. But there comes a point, she jumped through all these hoops. You just hand her the keys. Like, you've learned enough, honey. You've practiced enough. We've driven around town for weeks and months in the last year. You're ready. Here's the keys to the car, right? You've learned enough. Now go and do. It's kind of like this with Christ. Disciples, you've learned enough, man. You've seen me. I'm going to continue to teach. It's not over yet, but I'm going to continue to teach, challenge. You've seen enough. You've done enough, the miraculous things. I'm going to now send you out. You've learned and seen it enough. Now go do something with us. Like, how are we challenging ourselves with this truth? Now, I want you to see what Jesus does, though. Look at verse 7. Jesus doesn't just send them out alone. He says to them, listen, go out. He's called the 12. He begins to send them out two by two. And watch this. He gave them... I want you to see the word. Pull that, pull that scripture up. Pull verse 7 up. He gives them not just a good, firm handshake, not a good luck trinket, not a, a little book they can read on the way out. He gives them, what's the word there? Authority over the unclean spirits. 
Now, Luke writes about this same account, and I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to listen to how Luke describes it, because Luke adds a word that's going to help us understand what's going on here. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 says, it's the same account in Luke's perspective. He said, then Jesus called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. Now, here's what we do. We see this account, and we think, man, that must have been incredible Walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus. Could you imagine being in the boat, by the way? Could you just imagine? Could you imagine seeing the girl raised from the dead or the woman healed or the demon cast out? Could you imagine living and seeing that? But we see this account and we think, man, that was incredible for the first century. That was incredible for these 12. That was incredible for the people that watched Jesus. What does that have to do with me now? And it's very easy if we're not careful to kind of, kind of separate the story of the first century and the gospel from our lives now. It must have been great living in the first century, but it's very different now. Well, let me just make a connection for you. This is very important for you to understand. The Bible teaches that the same power and authority that was given to these first century believers, it was given to these apostles by Christ, is given to us through the Holy Spirit today. You understand that? That's what the Bible teaches. And so Jesus, looking ahead to this day in Acts 1-8, says to his followers, you'll, you'll remember this passage, we talk about it all the time. Jesus says to his followers, you will receive, here's the word, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's what you need to understand that a lot of believers miss. You live victorious because of the power of the Spirit living within you. Like far too many believers live in this world of being defeated. Like I just don't know if I can do that for the Lord. I wish I could do more ministry. I wish I had the courage to share my faith. I wish I had the courage to do some mission work. I wish, I wish. We live like we're defeated as if we don't have the power. That's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus says, listen, you need to go. He says to his followers, now I'm giving you the authority. He says to you in the 21st century, I've given you the Holy Spirit through whom you can have this authority and this power to do everything I've called you to do. Could you imagine being given the power to do whatever Christ calls you to do through the Spirit? That's what Jesus says to us. There's nothing we can't accomplish for Christ through his power. Many of you will remember before we started doing our, our construction that we had kind of a memorial garden kind of down in the parking lot. That's where the old flagpole was. We moved the flagpole. and We've redone that island with all the construction. We took those monuments. There were four of them. They're probably about this long. They're about this big around, and they're just granite, I think. I think they're just solid granite. And we set them back in the back part of the property. We could finish doing the construction. And last week, we moved them up between the buildings. We wanted to make a nice little spot for people to see arrange them so you can actually walk out there and see them. And they contain all the names of the people that have died from Rosemont over the years. It's a really neat memorial. A lot of just godly people on that list. But we started talking last week about getting them in place, and we said, well, let's just, you know, let's just go move them. So we walked out there, four of us now, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know. And I thought, and Jared was there with us. We just thought, we'll, just, we'll scoot these things up, we'll move them. We now know they probably weigh 600 pounds each. And you want to talk about something funny, seeing four grown men just kind of, you know, as best they can, and dropping it. We, could, we couldn't do it. We didn't have the power to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. So we had to get a little scooper and raise it. And it was a, a long process to get them moved, right? We didn't have the ability to do what we wanted to do. It's not like that with Christ. We need to get this. He gives us the power we need to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish, Period. 
We, we, we see it all through Scripture. Now, the, the problem is because believers oftentimes don't live in this power. They live as if they're defeated and unable. Churches have become now this place where we're not operating in the power of the Spirit. So a church, instead of being filled with spirit-filled believers that are willing and able to do whatever the gospel calls them to do, we become like a social club, like a country club. Hang out, see old friends, go to lunch, have a good time. Occasionally we'll do a social in somebody's house, play cards, have a good time. That's the end of the story, right? We miss that we've been given this power. The creator of the universe gives us this ability to accomplish everything he's called us to accomplish. We have to remember that. We have to live in that truth. Now, I want you to continue. Look at what happens. Look at verse 8. We see the power that Christ gives them and authority. Verse 8. So then he charged them, right? He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, not put on two tunics, right? Just two pairs of clothes. Don't even put on extra clothes. Don't even take extra clothes with you. Verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from it. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, then when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, we've seen the power of Jesus. We've seen the power of Christ first. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. Number two, we see the charge now of Jesus. Jesus is going to charge them with doing something. I use that word because in the ESV, that's the word that's actually used in verse 8 there. He charged them with, and he gives a whole list. Now, the last several weeks in our study have really been about faith. We've talked a lot about faith and the faith of the followers and the disciples and the people that Jesus has healed. You may remember when Jesus stands up in the boat, he calms the storm. The first thing he says to his disciples is, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Right? And if you know anything about the disciples, and we've already seen this a little bit, is they struggle with their faith. They struggle believing that Jesus really was who he says he was. They struggle with understanding the things that he was accomplishing. They're trying to figure out kind of who he was and why he was even here on this earth. It's all about faith with him. You may remember when he talks to Jairus, who's the father of the little girl. Jairus has faith in Jesus, and the Bible says that he says to Jesus, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And when Jesus gets to the house, he says to Jairus and his family, do not fear, only believe. Right? It's all about their faith. The woman that's healed. Remember, she reaches out and touches Jesus, and the Bible says that the power flows from him, and he stops. Who touched me? And the disciples can't believe it. Like, there are all these people around you, and you want to know who touched you. And he speaks to this woman. She falls on her face, and he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Remember, it's all about faith. Then he goes into his hometown, and he recognizes the unbelief and the lack of faith. And the Bible says, listen, that Jesus can't even do mighty works there because of the lack of the faith of these people. The last several weeks have been all about faith. I would say to you that this charge that Jesus gives to his disciples is all about faith again. He's testing them. Because I want you to notice what he says to them. Listen, I want you to go out Take a walking stick. Don't take anything else. No bread, not a bag, no money, no extra clothing. And it's very interesting to me because these are all material possessions that the people of the first century would have struggled with and wanted more of. And they're still material possessions that we struggle with and want today, aren't they? And, and so if we're not careful, we kind of fall into this place where we think, you know, I can't really follow Christ unless I have X, Y, and Z. Like, I can't do certain things unless I have X, Y, and Z. I just want you to understand, based on what Jesus tells these followers, when he says, listen, you need to go out, 
You need to listen to what I'm saying. You need to trust me. You don't need money, he says, to follow me. You don't need nice possessions to follow me. You don't need certain kinds of clothing to follow me. All you need is your faith. And so I wrote this question down in my notes that I want to ask you, that I need to ask myself. Do we have enough faith to rely on God for everything we have? Jesus says, listen, you guys just need to go out. Don't take anything with you. Just trust me. I've told this story before, uh, but when we go to South Asia, we're going to go again in just a few weeks. We've got several trips during the course of the year. We do Luke 10 walks. The same account is found in Luke 10. You can go read it and study about it and understand it. But in South Asia, they do Luke 10 walks. And it's basically we go out in small little groups, usually pairs, out into the villages. And we share the gospel. And we're looking for a person of peace. And if nobody listens, you know, you kind of shake the dust off your feet and you walk on. And I remember the first time we did a Luke 10 walk. We're sitting in, in, in Jonathan and Rebecca, right? I saw y'all coming in. Welcome. They're the folks that are in South Asia. They're going back here in just a few weeks. First time we did a Luke 10 walk, we sat in the hotel, and our little team kind of had one of these moments where we, we wanted to read Luke 10 together as a team and pray about it and wonder kind of how do we fit into this equation now and what does that look like for us. And we just kind of were drawn to this idea of not taking anything with us. And we just decided as a team, you know what, uh, we're just going to, the first time we do this, we're not going to take any of this stuff with us. We're not going to take our phones, we're not going to take our wallets, we're not going to take any money, no extra food, nothing. We're just going out for the day. We're not going out for weeks and weeks, but just for the day, we're not going to take anything with us. And you want to talk about kind of stepping across that threshold of leaving your hotel in a foreign country without any of that stuff on you? It's very scary. And, and God kind of reminded me in that moment, and he still reminds me as I read this text today, like it, it's very easy, for, here's where I'm going with this, it's very easy for us to want to give a lot of things to the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to give you all these things. And, and depending on kind of where you are in your faith, it's more with some people than the other. Like, some people are able to give Christ more than other people are. But for every person, everybody, myself included, there's a line somewhere. And you say, listen, I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to give you all of this stuff. And it's different for every person. I'm willing to give you all this stuff, but there's this line. And maybe we're aware of the line, maybe we're not. But there's this line where we say, I'm going to give you all these things. But past this line, Jesus, I can't really give you any of this stuff. And if we were honest with ourselves and if we were very careful and to kind of think through and understand and pray through that line, I would say to you, that line usually is drawn in fear. I'll give you this because this feels pretty good. I'm comfortable. But there's a line here and anything behind that line, I'm not giving it to you. I'm scared to death to give it to you. Jesus says, listen, you need to hear this. Now, this is important. I want you to hear this. Our calling as believers, scripturally is not to safety or comfort. Our calling is to follow the Lord regardless of the cost. That kind of changes that line, doesn't it? Because far too many of us will say, you know what, it's not comfortable over here. It's not safe over here. I'm fearful over here, Lord. You have all this, Lord. I'm comfortable with all that. But beyond that, whatever this is, I'm not giving it to you. We're not called the comfort. We're not called the safety and the easy life. I, I worry so much, especially since I've gone overseas now and seen so many other places and so many other believers. I worry that the American church has kind of gotten fat and happy. It's just real easy for us. Rarely are we called to give anything up or sacrifice in any way. And I read the accounts all through Scripture, and it's not anything like that in the Old and New Testament. Like Moses, like could you imagine being Moses? 
the gall of Moses walking up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and saying, hey, by the way, dude, you need to give up all your slaves. Hundreds of thousands of them. Just give them, let them go. Can you imagine Moses walking to the sea, the Red Sea, and he's got the Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other, the, the ability to kind of calm the people down by saying, listen, don't worry, the Lord's going to take care of this. And then when God splits the sea, walking through, seeing the water piled up hundreds of feet on both sides, that wasn't easy, I promise. It wasn't comfortable. Yet Moses chose to obey the Lord. I think about Moses, I think about Noah, I think about David, I think about Gideon, I think about Jesus. I mean, nothing about the life of Jesus was easy. Nothing about the life of Jesus was comfortable. And yet he got to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and and wept, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Like, I feel like for so many of us, there's this barrier of fear. And if we're not careful, we're going to live our lives on this side of the line, never fully understanding what Christ has on the other side. But we've got to come to this place where our faith outweighs our fear. Now, let's finish this up. Take a look again at verse 12. We've seen the power that Jesus offers these men. We've seen the calling on their life, the challenge that he's given to them. Now, I want you to look at verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Here's the third truth. We've seen the power of Jesus. We've seen the challenge or the calling or the charge of Jesus. Truth number three, now we see the message of Jesus. Now I want to be very clear because there's some confusion in our world about this. The message of Jesus has always been first and foremost salvation. Always. Now it's easy in our world to get confused and you can read certain people that have different opinions and they'll say something like this. Jesus came, he was a good man, a good teacher. He came to heal the sick or to get people out of poverty or so on and so forth and they'll just kind of talk about all that he did, never kind of get into the truth of the gospel. Now I would agree with you, Jesus came and did some pretty incredible things. He came to heal people, he came to help people, he came to kind of pull people out from where they were and take them to a better place. That's all very true. But at the heart of who Jesus was, ultimately he came to call people to repentance. And I would say to you, that there's kind of this movement in our world, and some of you have heard the phrase social justice. We're going to go do good things for people and help them. We're going to give them clean water. We're going to help them plant gardens. We're going to go to third world countries and, and kind of pull them up out of poverty. Those are fantastic things. Those are good things. We should do as much of that as our bodies physically will allow us. We should do all those things. And our church does many of those things overseas. But if we go to these places and just kind of do good social justice kind of stuff and help people and get them clean water, which we've done that, dig wells, help them plant gardens. If we do those kinds of things and never actually teach the gospel, we've missed the calling from Scripture. Period. Because Jesus was great at doing these miraculous things, but he did them so he could demonstrate his power so that people would accept his message about repentance. You understand that? I'm going to feed you, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to do great things in your life so that you'll now pay attention when I speak about repentance. Because if you study the life of Christ, he starts with the idea of repentance, it's all through his message and he ends with it. 
Now, repentance is kind of a churchy word. It basically just means, hey, I've realized that I'm a sinner. I've realized I've made some mistakes in my life. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from all those bad things. I'm going to instead turn to Christ, give my life to him, ask him to forgive me of all the mistakes I've made. That's what repentance is. Jesus kind of comes on the scene, Mark chapter 1, verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now Jesus, after John, excuse me, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, repent and believe in the gospel. I mean, Jesus did miraculous things, but at the heart of his message was the idea of repentance and salvation through the gospel. Now, here's the interesting thing about Mark chapter 6. Jesus sends these people out into the world to heal and to proclaim his name and to proclaim repentance because there was a great need in the first century, obviously. There were lots of people that needed to hear about Christ. They needed to hear about repentance. Here's the interesting thing. Fast forward 2,000 years there's still a great need. There's still a great need for people to hear the gospel. And I mentioned this before. Our church goes all over the world. And I, I take a, a, just, I'm very proud of what our church has accomplished through the power of the Lord, sending people all over the globe, all over the continents, all over the countries. We're going to send numerous people to various different parts of the world. We are going to keep doing that. We're not going to stop. In fact, we're going to ramp that up. We're praying right now about how to ramp that. We're going to send more and more people. Watch this. This is important. We can never be the church that sends people all over the world and neglects our back door. Because there are people all over Troop County that are in desperate need of the gospel. So I want to, I want to end with this. I sent to the Georgia Baptist uh, Convention, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board last week. They'll do a demographic study of your area if you ask them to. So I sent to them and I said, listen, I'd like a demographic study of Rosemont. And I want a fifth, they, they give you certain different type of criteria. I want a 15-minute drive in every direction. So we, we take a map, we put Rosemont right in the center, 15-minute drive every direction. They draw this line, and this is kind of our target area right here. Here are the numbers for that 15-minute drive in every direction. Population, this is according to the U.S. Census Bureau now. These are the numbers they use. 45,200 people in a 15-minute drive in any direction, 45,200. That sounds about right. That makes sense to us. And then you delve into it a little bit more, and they ask questions of these people. They ask questions about their salvation and what they think about Jesus Christ. And when they ask them if you have a personal relationship with one living God who is Lord and Savior, 60% of those people within that little window, 60% either strongly or somewhat agree with that statement. 40% have either no opinion, somewhat, or strongly disagree. So we'd say about 60% of the population in that little window of 15-minute drive in any direction, 60% are believers, 40% or not. When you delve into some of the specific questions about Jesus, those numbers go down a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm happy to send you the report if you want to look at it. There's a lot of interesting things in there. I think those numbers are greatly inflated. That's my personal opinion. Because everybody in the South is a Christian, right? We all go to church, went to Grandmama's church. We're all believers. I'm a Christian. They'll say they're a believer, and it takes four or five questions of delving into some really personal things before you begin to understand. I don't think they really are a Christian. I think they've been to church a few times. I think their grandmama went to church when they were a kid, but I don't think they've ever actually repented of their sins, and I don't think they're living for Christ right now. But let's just assume for a minute that these numbers that the census department gives us are correct. Let's assume that 60% of the people in this area are believers, 40% are not. If you do the math, out of 45,203 people, if 40% of those people are not believers, that's 18,081 people 
These are very generous numbers, by the way. 18,000 people within a 15-minute drive of our church are unbelievers. I saw a stat one time. It said you could take any church, any, any area in the country, county, state, whatever. Let's just use Troop County. And if you took every lost person in the county and filled up every church building twice on Sunday morning, there would be thousands of people that still couldn't fit. Like the need is still great. You say, what, what are we going to do about this? Well, Christ has given us the power, Holy Spirit. He's given us the charge. Man, you need to go and share having faith in me. And he's given us the message, repentance in Christ. It's been created for us. It's been designed for us. He's handed us this perfect model. All he needs us to do now is do it. You know, we, we could be the church that, that develops an incredible market strategy, marketing strategy. We, we could invest in huge amounts of advertising. We could give away door prizes every Sunday to get all these people in the door. Or we could simply follow, follow the model of Mark chapter 6. We're going to take the good news of the gospel into the world through the power of the Spirit, asking people to repent and believing through the Spirit they're going to do it. And so I want to finish with something this morning. I want you to go ahead and close your Bibles, close your notes. Praise team, y'all come on, make your way up if you would. I want to challenge you with something just for the next few minutes. Go ahead and kind of settle in for a second, close everything up, and I want you just to bow your heads for just a minute as the praise team comes down. And I want you just to kind of contemplate for a second. 18,000 people. 18,000. I'm guessing, I think Cowboy Stadium holds six or 8,000 maybe. So let's just double or triple that number. If you've gone before up to Phillips Arena or the new arena now, 16 or 18,000 fit, fit in that thing. All those people within a 15-minute drive of our church are lost. Just contemplate that just for a second. Let that rattle around in your brain just for a second. All the need, all the opportunity, all the chances we have on a regular basis of sharing the gospel, of demonstrating our love demonstrating the power of Christ in our life, of demonstrating the idea of repentance, forgiveness in Christ. And Father, we, we just want to kind of be reminded of these numbers, just for a second, Lord. Just let them rattle around in our hearts and our brains for just a moment, 18,000 people, just within a 15-minute drive of our church, Lord. And Father, we can just imagine with, with that much brokenness and that, that, the, those numbers of people that are unbelievers, just the, the, the struggles they must have and, and the pain that some of them are probably enduring and the desperate need they have for the truth of the gospel. Lord, you've given it to us. You've given us the plan. You've given us the power. You've given us the message and the calling. Give us now, Father, the strength and the faith and the courage to do something about it, Father. Allow us to change this community through the power of the Spirit. And we'll praise your name for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want you to stand. The altar is open. You can come and pray. You can speak to me. You respond as we sing together this morning.
Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.